Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. We've got another week kicked off here in Texas agriculture. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Texas Ag Today. My name's Kerry Martin. I'm your host, along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. We cover it all from the Piney Woods of East Texas to the Rocky Ranges of the Transpecos and from the Panhandle all the way down to the Rio Grande Valley. As the dairy business continues to expand in Texas, the biggest player of all is the Texas High Plains. I'm James Hunt, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. Water conservation measures for landscapes. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have those details on Texas Ag Today. Scattered showers and cooler temperatures across the coastal bend provided some minor relief to crops in our area. This is Harvey Buring reporting from the Corpus Christi area. We'll have those stories, plus Texas wildlife news, and a complete look at the markets all coming up. Texas meat production took a big jump last month. Jessica Domel explains. Red meat production in Texas rose nearly a million pounds last month. According to the National Agricultural Statistics Service, more than 437 million pounds of red meat were harvested in Texas in March. That's up 99.3 million pounds from February. It's up nearly 30 million pounds from the same time in 2020 during the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic in the United States. 544,100 head of cattle were harvested in Texas in March. That's up 39,700 head from the same time last year. AgriLife experts warn us that in the coming months, comparing this year's production to last year's will look different due to coronavirus-related meat industry shutdowns that occurred in 2020. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. As Congress continues to debate the proposed infrastructure funding package, rural broadband expansion is one topic that both Democrats and Republicans can agree on. Texas Congressman Mike Cloud sits on the House Agriculture Committee. He says there was a lot of bipartisan agreement during a broadband expansion hearing last week. The discussion's more on how they get it done, not if it needs to be done. Certainly the Constitution mandates that a legitimate use of federal funds is for infrastructure. Uh, this is, you know, the highway of the information age, so to speak. And, and right now we're seeing a, a great migration from cities into rural communities. And so we're going to need that digital infrastructure to support that. And while expanding rural broadband sounds simple, it can be a very complicated issue. You know, when you get into the nuts and bolts of how to solve the rural broadband issue, there's a lot of uh, technical issues that need to be uh, discussed and looked at and how to best best way to approach it and get a good ROI for uh, the taxpayer while solving the needs of uh, infrastructure for rural America. One of the things I hear constantly about is just uh, the definition of broadband uh, and, and, and what that means. Uh, we still have a reconnect act with that set the limits at 10 to one uh, upload and download. Uh, we, in the last farm bill, I, I believe uh, 
changed it to 25-3. But even that for a lot of people who have a homeschooling kid or trying to run their farm on the latest technology or, you know, has a a member running it, officing at home uh, with the neighbor who's, you know, watching a Netflix movie or something, you know, it can take up some bandwidth pretty quick. So, you know, we want to make sure that we're future proofing whatever whatever decisions we make there. Cloud says rural broadband expansion could either be wrapped into the infrastructure bill or it could move as a standalone bill. As the dairy business continues to expand here in Texas, the biggest player of all is the Texas High Plains. James Hunt has the story from Amarillo. The latest report from USDA shows milk production in Texas was up by 3.9% when comparing March 2021 figures with those for March of 2020. The increased output directly corresponds with an upswing in the number of milk cows in Texas, which totaled approximately 617,000 last month, a 27,000 head gain from one year earlier. Darren Turley of Texas Association of Dairymen says the numbers reflect a dairy industry in our state that is poised to continue growing. We have producers that are very established and also very quick to take in new technology and better management practices to help make their farms more profitable and, of course, in turn, makes more production from the cow. At the present time, what we're seeing in Texas is growth that is more about expansion at existing dairies rather than new ones starting up. But one thing that's for certain is our region has become by far the dominant player in the state. We have over 80 percent of the milk in the state coming from the Panhandle region now, and there's no sign of that changing. We continue to see some farms in the southern part of the state age out and then just nobody coming back into business and farmers choosing to retire. And so I think that will continue to be the place to see the milk produced is in the high plains. Turley says our weather plays a large role in making our area attractive to dairies. We have a really good climate in the panhandle for dairy cows. Dairy cows don't handle heat well. They can't sweat heat off. And so as the dairy industry in Texas has matured, it continues to move north. And those cool nights and that low humidity are just better dairy country. Turley says another plus for dairies located in the Texas High Plains, those locally grown feedstuffs. Being surrounded by good fertile farmland does not hurt at all. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Water is in short supply across Texas, and that's something that may affect the lawn and garden landscape across the state this year. Tom Nicoletti talks with a San Angelo horticulturalist about the issue. Today we go to San Angelo, and horticulturist John Begno is my guest as we talk about springtime conservation of water. And uh, John, uh, certainly important for Texas residents and even those who own businesses and have landscapes because the drought is still um, very much uh, in force across Texas uh, from uh, abnormally dry to exceptional drought depending on where you are and so you have some uh, tips for uh, folks on how to uh, conserve uh, water and so uh, what are those bullet points and and why are they important? Well Tom you know Texans ought to be used to dry wet dry wet inconsistent water delivery we might call it by nature and so drought is one of the dry times. And there are three basic things that we can do. And mulch is very important, especially if we're doing new planting after that deep freeze. If you'll place a two to three inch layer of bark chip or some type of organic plant material on the surface around the plant, it will keep the ground much cooler, keep it consistently moist. And the water that you do apply by irrigation, not just rainfall, will have a more efficient and long lasting effect on the establishment of those plants. Okay, a second point in water efficiency, John, is to check the calibration of your irrigation systems. 
You know, it's never been more important. You go through a freeze like we had, and I know some people haven't even turned any kind of an irrigation system on to see how affected it was by that deep freeze. And so you want to do an audit. You do this annually, regardless of whether it's been a cold spell or not. You turn it on. You watch your coverage if you have an automatic system. If not, you check your sprinkler heads that you've used for years on these drag-behind sprinklers, and you make sure they're delivering the water. You know, ideally, you would like to apply sprinkler water to turf grass and even to beds in larger droplets. And these droplets don't evaporate quite as fast as the small micro sprinklers that throw it in the air and they're exposed to dry humidity conditions. And then thirdly, uh, planting uh, new plants that are well adapted to your environment is also important for water efficiency. It definitely is very important. You know, this is an opportunity. We lost a lot of plant material during that deep freeze. And this is an opportunity to go back with some that, let's say we are able to put in plants that require virtually no irrigation during extremely dry times in whatever part of the state you're in. They have those plant materials that are very well adapted. Some of the plants that have survived, that have been around, look like they might be better adapted than the ones you had and replace them with that. Good advice on water efficiency from horticulturist John Begno in San Angelo. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Scattered showers across the coastal bend have provided some temporary relief from drought. Harvey Buring reports from Corpus Christi. Two days of light mist and some scattered showers did provide a little help to the dry land crops in the coastal bend area, but uh, that's certainly not enough to ensure that the crop will be growing into a good uh, yield potential. There's still a lot of need for additional moisture. Cotton planting in the area was completed now and uh, a number of the growers in the western portion of the coastal bend had to dry plant their cotton just ahead of last week's predicted rainfall. Those rainfall amounts range from a quarter to four tenths in most locations, but a few isolated areas like those south of Kingsville reported up to an inch of rainfall with that cold front that moved through our area. And those cooler nighttime temperatures dropped uh, across the region into the mid-50s, and uh, that has certainly slowed the growth of cotton that had emerged and definitely slowed down the germination of recently planted cotton fields. Livestock producers here in the area were in hopes of getting a couple of inches instead of a couple of tenths, and their pastures are very short. Dry soil conditions aren't allowing any production of new vegetation from our warm season grasses in those pasture lands, and hay supplies are rapidly depleting across the area. Ranchers continue to ship lighter calves and older, leaner cows to the markets here in the coastal bend. This is Harvey Buring reporting from the Corpus Christi area for Texas Ag Today. There's good news for people who love fishing and for those who want to try it for the first time. I'm Jessica Dolmel and I'll have details coming up on Texas Ag Today. And you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. So is that really true? Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd will answer that question coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today.
When we moved to Texas, we were like fish out of water. We didn't know anyone in our neighborhood until our Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent came to the house. She was so helpful and reassuring, a friendly face with that Texan hospitality I'd heard about. When we purchased a Texas Farm Bureau insurance policy, we knew we were making the right choice. We knew our family would be protected. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to find an insurance agent who's a true neighbor. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Well, you know the saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. And that's actually true. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd says, yes, sir, that is definitely the case. But there are some things you can do to encourage them to drink. Dehydration is a major cause of problems in horses and is commonly encountered in equine practice. Although dehydration can be caused by many factors, colic is a common problem either causing or leading to dehydration. Drinking water is especially a concern in hospitalized horses, as some may be in the hospital for colic and not want to drink. Although that's understandable, many horses hospitalized for other problems don't want to drink either, and this may lead to colic. Colic occurs in 3-5% of horses overall, but develops in about 20% of hospitalized horses, and one reason is lack of water can lead to dry spots in the intestine and impactions. Various products have been added to the water to attempt to increase water consumption, but no studies have been performed to determine the most effective addition to encourage water consumption until now. The veterinarians at Washington State performed a study to determine which additive encouraged water consumption using commercial sweet feed, peppermint extract, and apple-flavored electrolytes. Results indicated there is some evidence that commercial sweet feed and peppermint flavoring added to water did increase water consumption, and the addition of commercial-flavored sweet feed to the water was more effective than peppermint-flavored water. Interestingly, horses actually consume less water after adding an apple-flavored electrolyte solution to the water compared to drinking plain water. So if you have a horse that will not drink, adding a small amount of commercial sweet feed just to flavor the water may be helpful. I'm veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. There is some good news for Texans who love fishing and for those who want to try it for the first time. Jessica Domel explains in today's Wildlife Report. It is time to find your fishing pole and tackle box. The Texas Parks and Wildlife Department is now stocking thousands of catfish in 18 Texas suburban and urban lakes. It's all part of TPWD's neighborhood fishing program that enables families and friends to stay close to home, enjoying their time in the great outdoors and reeling in a catch. The catfish will be stocked in five lakes in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, four lakes in the Houston area, two lakes in the San Antonio area, and one lake each in the following areas, Amarillo, College Station, San Angelo, Waco, and Wichita Falls. Each of the lakes will receive catfish every two weeks through the end of October. There will be a brief pause in stocking during the heat of August. The selected lakes are in city and county parks with parking, restrooms, lighting, and other recreational amenities. Anglers can keep up to five catfish of any size per day without a minimum length limit. Children under 17 can fish for free. Fishing licenses are required for all anglers over the age of 17. To find a stocked lake in your area, go to neighborhoodfishing.org. That is neighborhoodfishing.org. The website has a link to buy a fishing license, a map of the stocked lakes, and a way to sign up for email and text updates. Again, that's at neighborhoodfishing.org. 
And speaking of fishing, Texas anglers have until Friday, April 30th to register for the CCA Texas Star Tournament's early bird drawing. The winner of the early bird drawing will win a boat, motor, and trailer package. This year's Star Tournament will be held May 29th through September 6th. Again, the deadline to register to be entered into the early bird drawing is Friday, April 30th. Register at startournament.org. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. It was another crazy day in the grain markets. We saw a limit up move in the corn market and almost limit up in wheat. And that, of course, affected the cattle markets. We ended up closing mostly higher in live cattle, mixed on feeder cattle. We'll take a closer look at all of the livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. As planting season begins across the country, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to follow the basic steps for seed treatment stewardship. Follow directions on seed container labeling. Eliminate weeds in the field prior to planting. Minimize dust by using advanced seed flow lubricants. Be aware of honeybees and hives located near the field. Ensure that any spilled seeds are removed or covered by soil to protect wildlife and the environment. And remove all treated seed left in equipment. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. It was another crazy day in the grain markets on Monday. We saw some limit-up moves in corn and almost limit-up in wheat. However, that tends to have a negative effect on livestock prices. We didn't see it so much in live cattle, but we definitely saw it pressure the front-month feeders. We'll start with the cattle complex. April live cattle up 65 cents, 118.50. June up 55, 116.27. August live cattle up $1.10, 117.95. Feeders mix. The nearby's lower. April down $1.10, 130. 2.75 May feeders down 40 137.27 the August up 40 cents at 150.30 cash fed cattle market all quiet on a Monday of course we sold cattle last week at 120 here in Texas that's a buck lower than we saw the previous week boxed beef prices looking mixed with the choice down 77 cents 283 even the select up a dollar 82. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. My friend Jody Fry is the ramrod for the cattle portion of the sale at Producers in Cargill, San Angelo. They said on Thursday, Jody, how did it go? Turned out good. Numbers are getting bigger. 1530 was the total at today's sale. Almost half of the run actually consisted of those replacement cattle uh, and the slaughter cows and bulls. Better quality steers, four to 600 pounds from 125 up to a high of near 185, mostly 140 to 160. Six to 800 pound steers from 110 up to a high of close to 150, mostly 120 to 140. Better quality heifers, four to 600 pounds, 115 to 150, mostly 125 to 140. Slaughter cows average to high yielding, 52 to 64. Had several sets of the highest yielding slaughter cows from 65 to 73 had a couple of individual really high yielding slaughter cows 75 to 77 thinner and lower yielding type cows still some of those from 35 to 50 slaughter bulls average to high yielding from 70 to 88 just a few of the highest yielding slaughter bulls today from 90 to 94 bred cows and heavy bred two-year-olds average to better quality from 700 to 950 had several sets of uh, young heavy bred cows from a thousand 
to twelve hundred per hit. Calcaf pairs average to better quality pairs eight fifty to eleven fifty. Of course, had several drafts of those choice sets of Calcaf pairs anywhere from twelve fifty to a high of fifteen twenty five. Now I hazard to guess how many sheep and goats we're going to have next week. We've been wrong before. You know, we lasted le- over eleven hours uh, on Tuesday with about eight thousand head. I guess sixty five hundred to seventy five hundred, and, and who knows? That might be on the low sides, and probably a thousand to twelve hundred head next Thursday is what we're looking for right now. Jody, tell everybody how to get a hold of you. They're at the office three two five six five three. 3371. My mobile phone would be 234-7895. Neighbor, that's it for this edition of Walking the Pins. I'm Larry Marble. I've been your host, and you're listening to us on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Neighbor, good day to you. Thanks, Larry. Back over to the futures market now where lean hogs were mixed. The May contract down 10 cents, 109.25. June hogs up $1.12 at 106.85. Class 3 milk was higher. April milk up to 1766. May milk up 36 cents at 1936 a hundredweight. The cotton market managed to hang on to those big gains that we wrapped up last week with. We ended up closing slightly higher. Of course, the focus seemed to be on the grain markets, but cotton kind of tagged along and added a little bit to the market. July cotton up 42 points, 89.22. The October up 41 at 86.95. The December contract up two points, 84.95 cents. While the action was all in corn and wheat on Monday, the corn market seeing some limit-up moves again on that old crop contract. Strong Chinese demand helping to fuel prices. Also, the continued dry forecast for Brazil, where their second crop is soon to be pollinating, and that dry weather could endanger yields. We closed with the nearby May corn contract up 25 cents. That's up the limit, 6.80 and a half. The deferred contracts tagged along September corn up 17 and a quarter, 593. December corn up 17 and a half, 568 and a half. The wheat market sharply higher. Spillover support from the corn market added to the weather concerns that we have. Still waiting to see what kind of damage we had from last week's freezing temperatures. And strong buying in wheat also pushing prices higher. July Kansas City wheat up 28 and a quarter. We're above seven bucks now, 708 and three quarters. July Chicago wheat up 27 and a quarter, 739 and a half. In the energy markets, natural gas was higher. The May up six cents, two seventy nine. June crude oil down seventeen, sixty one ninety seven a barrel. The financial markets mixed. The Dow Jones Industrial Average down sixty one points, thirty three thousand seven eighty one. The Nasdaq up one hundred twenty one, fourteen thousand one thirty eight. The S and P five hundred up seven at four thousand one eighty seven. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. Don't forget, we'll be right back here tomorrow to bring you all of the latest news in Texas agriculture. My name's Kerry Martin, and I sure hope I'll see you then. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.